This is a main hustle media podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jackie O and you're listening to Militantly Mixed. Yo, this is Rashani from the single simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back. Listening to Militantly Mixed. I would like to acknowledge that the Militantly Mixed podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Chumash and the Tongva people, and I wish to pay my respects to the people of those nations, both past and present. Hey y'all, welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, aka Mixed Girl Maine. The busiest mixed race bisexual polyamorous atheist comic book nerd cat mom mask making Gulf Coast Cosmos comic book co-owning Asian American Podcasters Association's Golden Crane Award winning podcaster <laughs> in this podcasting game. This is episode 138 and officially the last episode before I go on my extended hiatus as I plan for and move to Houston. Um, As I've said before, I am going to try to do some best ofs or maybe drop special episodes here and there throughout the summer. And even though this feels very weird for me, this is not very weird for podcasting in general. A lot of shows go on hiatus during the summer or something like that. It's just that it's always been a point of fear for me that if I was gone for any length of time, I would lose the audience. But as I said last week, I got a lot of really nice messages of people letting me know to take the break, um, that they'll still be here, that there's still a lot of things they can get from the community uh, while I'm on hiatus. So I appreciate that. And like I said, I will continue to try to stay connected to social media and uh, pop in from time to time, even if it is just a quick little mini sods to let y'all know what's going on in the world of, of Mixed Girl Maine, Gulf Coast Cosmos, Comic Book Co., and Militantly Mixed, of course. This may feel like a major shift, though, because for the last three years, or at least two and a half of these last three years, I've been talking about doing my best to try to turn my militantly mix into my main hustle. I literally call my production company Main Hustle Media because this was the goal a couple years ago. I wanted to find a way to turn this into how I survived so I wouldn't have to work a day job, but that I, I haven't mastered that yet. I haven't been able to earn an income doing the show. And so it's still a lot of, you know, my free time. It's all it's it's entirely my free time. And it's um, uh, a lot of my own money in addition to the Patreon sponsors that help keep the show going. Uh, I don't want to slow that down, but because I don't earn an income during this, there are times when I am going to have to slow down or pause or take breaks so that I can live my life or, or earn money. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's just the way it is. So the way my life has shifted over the last year and a half is that once I sat down to start to build this comic book shop with my business partner, Byron Kennedy, um, my mind had to shift a little bit as well. Throughout the entire three years I've done this show, I have had a day job or um, a couple of part-time jobs. In this case, I'm about to leave a full-time job and maintain some sort of part-time employment while I build up my shop so that hopefully by fall, the shop is the main hustle. The shop is my 
um, for lack of a better term, nine to five to survive. The comic book shop was been a lifelong dream. The podcast was a dream that has been in the last five years and I was able to turn into a reality three years ago. So things have just shifted for me a little bit. Militantly Mixed will always be a priority for me because of how much my it's given me, how much my life has changed because of finally pressing record. It united me with a community I didn't realize I needed, just kind of hoped I could get. But now I really thrive in a way I never have before because I have this community. So Militantly Mixed will always be a priority. If it is feeling right now like it's not, it's really just because I have to find a way to survive and I don't want to survive by being paid by bosses anymore, (laughs) I guess. I want to be under my own steam. I want to own my own company. I want to run my own company. I want to pay my bills that way. And while I had hoped militantly mixed would be that thing eventually um it's more likely that the comic book shop will be that for me and um, i will continue to do militantly mixed the way i have done militantly mixed for the last three years which is um in my free time outside of work unless by some magic i finally start to get sponsorship and i can actually turn this into a way to survive too (laughs) um unfortunately you do find that sometimes your dreams while you should still keep trying to pursue them you do have to be realistic and this has been a tough thing for me to do this year is to be realistic about what pays the bills and um and that's why i've had to take pauses here and there where militantly mixes concern But my commitment is not any less than it ever has been. I guess that's what I really want to say with all of this. My commitment to Militantly Mixed and to the mixed race community and to you and to everybody who listens to the show hasn't changed. My ability to do it on the budget that I have had up until recently has, though. I'm about to leave my full-time job, which means I will no longer be able to um, put as much in financially to keep this show going. So the show may adapt to what is available to me from the Patreon sponsorship, which has reduced quite a bit over the last year. And um, I've chalked that up to both COVID and to people just getting used to this being something that exists and and maybe don't realize um, how much goes into producing um, a show independently. Uh, For a lot of listeners, this is free entertainment or free education. Um, But for those of you who are my Patreon sponsors or um, who drop donations into the PayPal from time to time, I believe you know that um, I would not be able to do the show without you. So my commitment at present is that I will do the show as long as there is funding to be able to do the show. And until I am able to get stable again, because the first few years of running your own company is a very unstable time, um, I will do the show as long as I can afford to do it through the Patreon sponsorship, or if I'm lucky enough to get outside sponsorship. But if for some reason the Patreon sponsorship disappears, I will most likely not be able to do the show again until I get more financially stable and can continue to put the kind of money in that I've been putting in over the last three years. It's just a heads up more than anything, just because I I keep seeing the Patreon slip and um, and I know it's probably going to be hard to maintain it when I'm on hiatus. So I'll keep you all informed. But essentially that that's that's where we're at. If you do 
love the show, get something out of it, feel educated by it, feel community from it, and you would like to help support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash militantly mixed and um, donate as low as a dollar a month to as high as anything you wish. You can also do an annual sponsorship if you'd like. Um, but that is the way that we're going to keep this show going for, for right now. I, um, As of next month when I leave my job, I will not be able to contribute money to the show myself for, for a little while. Or a long while, I don't know. It depends on how long it takes for me to get my first paycheck for my own company, um, which after a year and a half, I have not been able to achieve yet <laughs> and probably won't for a couple years because that's the nature of retail. <sighs> that sounded terrible, but that's the reality. Okay, uh, so a couple of announcements before I go. The Mixed and Hella Asian t-shirt, fundraiser t-shirt is still available on militantlymixed.com and we have picked up a couple more sales over the last week, so uh, appreciate y'all who have been um, listening and and um, contributing that way. Uh, for any purchase that is made during the month of May or June, we will donate the funds to towards the Blasian March. And um, again, if you would like to support the Blasian March, just start by going to their Instagram account, um, Blasian March, and, uh, and you can support them, keep an eye on what they're doing. Um, th- from there, you can also see what charities and organizations they're working with as well. But all of the profits from the mixed and hella Asian t-shirts that are going to be made in May and June will go towards Blasian March. I also have a couple more mixed and hella shirts that I am planning. One from a community I'm a part of, one from a community that I'm not. And so I actually need uh, some assistance from the audience. If you are of the Latino, Latina, Latin, Latinx or Hispanic identified community. I would also like to put together a mix and hella shirt um, for y'all as well. Um, but me not coming from that community, I don't want to make a judgment call on uh, what would be the best terminology for the shirt. And maybe it's the case that I need a couple of different versions, um, but I want to hear from y'all. So if you identify as mixed from a Latino, Latina, Latin, Latinx, or Hispanic identity, uh, please holla at Jermaine in the DMs or at email Charmaine at militantlymixed.com and let me know what's what words are the words that are the most empowering to you. Oh, and it may just be the case that I'll need to make five different shirts. That's possible too. Um, I want it to be inclusive. I want it to not be misgendering or ungendering in a way, um, but with language that has a masculine feminine approach, uh, I don't know what the best call is. And so I want to speak to people from those actual communities. And maybe I'll do a survey monkey or something like that, a, a Google form um, to figure that out. But I want to I want to create the most representative possible shirt for um, all aspects of the community. I think even in terms of the Asian side, I will probably divide up a couple of different more specific shirts there as well, because um, while Asian does work here for the Western um, Asian identity, it doesn't work in Asia. (laughs) And I do have quite a few listeners throughout Asia as well. And I want everybody to feel as represented as we can. Um, I'm also open to hearing what... um, organizations that are doing work within the Latino, Latina, Latin, Latinx, and Hispanic community um, as suggestions for me to vet for the um, fundraising aspects of the Mixed and Hella line of t-shirts. I don't accept profits from them myself yet. Um, That may change in the future if it is also the bulk of how 
militantly mix can raise funds. But for now, I would like to dedicate those funds towards organizations that are actually doing work within the communities um, that the shirts represent. Like BLM does receive the profits from Mix and Hello Black shirt. Um, and right now it's Blasian March for the Asian American shirt. But um, last month it was uh, advancing justice. So I will change that up from time to time across all of the shirts. But Holla at your main if you do have that identity and you would like to to get a mix and hella shirt represented for your community as well. All right, let's get into today's episode. Again, this is officially my last episode until I go on hiatus. Today's guest is uh, Caitlin Lance. She is one of the directors of the UCLA MSU Mixed Student Union, and I came across Caitlin while I was presenting at the UCLA MSU Mixed Heritage Conference. I was originally supposed to participate last year, but we all know the story. COVID got in the way. And um, so my position was rerouted until this year. And I had an amazing experience. Um, And I met a few people that I'm hoping to have on future episodes of Militantly Mixed. But um, this was one I was able to get recorded before I decided to go on hiatus. So we spoke probably about a month or so ago. And so that's what I'm sharing with y'all today. I went full auntie on this episode. <laughs> Caitlin is, is a 19 year old college student. And um, some of the things that she was talking about triggered the auntie and me. And so I did, I did go full auntie on the episode. I, I appreciate that Caitlin was a good sport about me, um, me trying to to help all the babies, all the mixed babies out there. Um, but also the, just the perspective of, of being um, a white Asian mixed person and and holding an identity like that when she's perceived mostly as white, even though I see her as Asian. Um when I physically look like her, she seemed she looked more Asian to me than white. Um, so we, we talked about what that means. So the title of this episode, it's in quotations, the best mix. And that has to do with a quote that something something someone said to her. Um, so we talk a little bit about the model minority myth and and what um, it means to be, quote, the best mix, unquote. And um, and just how triggering hearing that from a white person would be. Um, it was a really great conversation. It actually flies by really quickly. If it feels like it goes by really quickly for me. Um, so I'm, I'm glad to, to end this. I don't want to say season cause I don't know season, but this patch of episodes on this, um, on this episode because of the vibes, the the good vibes. Um, and also shout out to UCLA MSU, who has been a gift that keeps on giving in terms of me getting a chance to engage with other mixed race student unions through them, um, meeting other mixed students and, and just being included in, in some of the things that they're, that they're doing for their community. I really appreciate it. And, uh, it's, it's been awesome, um, to get those opportunities and I think that's it. So without further ado, please join me in welcoming our latest cousin to the militantly mixed family, Caitlin Lance.
I'm really excited that you decided to join me and that we got together in such an impromptu way. Literally, the way that you and I meet everybody that was highlighted at the UCLA MSU um, Mixed Race Heritage Conference, I was messaging like, come on my show, come on my show. Um, so you're the first of, of all of those people, but why don't you introduce yourself to the audience and uh, let's get into it. Oh my gosh, yes. Okay, so excited to be here. Um, this is such a validating experience for me because I would like listen to these podcasts and like to try to like find validation in my own mixed race experience and now I get to be on one, so that's really fucking cool. That's awesome. <laughs> so uh, hi, my name is Caitlin Lance. Um, I'm a 19-year-old college student at UCLA. Um, I'm a director in the Mixed Student Union, which is basically like a mixed race multicultural club for you know students and other people in the UCLA community. Um, and yeah, that's correct. I did reach out to you. Like I just met, I put it in the chat because you were like, oh, I have a podcast. And I was like, I want to be on a podcast. And then you <laughs> like private messaged me and you were like, you can be on it. And I was like, holy shit. Like <laughs> the world just right before my eyes. It was wonderful. And now I'm that's here. Awesome. So I'm really excited. Well, I also appreciate the event. So last year, no, gosh, I, I, we, I feel like we've lost a whole year. November 2019, Dakota reached out to me to, to, participate as a speaker at the UCLA Mixed Heritage Conference. I was so excited. Like for me, that was that was my big like, oh, shit, this is a real thing that's happening. Because up until then, I'd had a couple of small speaking things, um, but not at the university level. And that was the very the first major invite that I got at a university level. So super excited. And then COVID happened. And it got postponed. <laughs> and so I thought it was just like, you know, I was really crushed. I thought it was going to, you know, not work out. But um, he assured me that, you know, when y'all got back to up to up and running, um, that I would be invited back. So I was really excited to that it finally got to happen this year. Um, but I really appreciate what y'all did, like, because it wasn't an option to to be on campus, that, that the way you put it together, the music in between the sessions, like all of it, like it, it worked really well. And there, I've been on a few of these Zooms that aren't going well or that there's a big gap between the speakers or, or whatever. And there was a flow the whole time. So I was really excited about everything you did. And I, I, I know you were a big part of how that flow was happening. So I was excited that you were also interested in, in joining up. So before we get into it, why don't you tell us how you how do you identify? <laughs> Um, yeah, great question. Um, yeah, I identify, I just say Asian. Um, okay. I didn't come up with that term, but it's like white and Asian. So I, I love the hybrid terms. Yeah, I'm white on my dad's side, Asian on my mom's side, specifically Vietnamese. Mm -hmm. um, and then my whiteness is like German and probably some other stuff, but I'm not like as connected to like the specific white ethnicity. The historical like, white. Yeah, it's just like I'm like white, but I'm specifically Vietnamese, if that makes right. sense, you know? Right. Um, so similar to my upbringing, you have a military reason as to why you are mixed. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. So on, yeah, on my mom's side, so my grandma's from Vietnam. She was like there, you know, like in her early 20s during the war. And then she was a war bride. So she like married a white American, came to the U.S. with my mom and like my other aunts. Um, and then it's some another one was born here in America. So I have like three aunts in total and then my mom. Um, so that's why why my like Asian family is in America. It's because like my grandma married a white man right. came up here and they were like the only Asian family in all of Kansas. Um, mm. 
So yeah, that's fun. Um, and there's a lot of like forced assimilation on that end. So that's why it's like as mixed people like trying to reclaim our mixedness in the face of like all of that forced assimilation from the past like 50 years that my family's been here. Right. Um, interesting. Yeah. And especially too, which I think is something specific to Asian immigration in the United States is Asians are allowed a proximity to whiteness in terms of assimilation that other groups aren't. And so until of course something happens that reminds them, Oh, Hey, you're Asian. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think we lose as a, as mixed Asians, we we lose a lot more than. Well, I mean, white people don't know where they're from, but I don't feel that they mourn it. But I feel like as people of color, we mourn the places that we don't have access to anymore. If that makes sense, um, and especially as war related immigration, which is also my family too. Um, it's just messy. <laughs> it's just simply messy. messy. I love that for us. Now we yeah. all have like identity crises, so that's great. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Exactly. And believe me, the identity crisis does not stop. Like, I mean, I'm 43. It just changes. It evolves. The things that you're suffering at 19, you suffer differently at 28 and differently at 34. And at 43, you know, maybe there's an uptick in assaults against Asians and all of a sudden and you shave your head the same year and all of a sudden you realize just how Asian you are and boom, now now I'm in an Asian identity crisis, which I had never experienced in all my years before. Um, so, you know, it, it evolves, it changes like crazy. Uh, so did you grow up in Kansas or is that just where your family's from? Oh, no, God, no, no, I did not. What do you call people from I Kansas? Know. I feel like there's not enough of them. Um, no, no, I grew up in the Bay Area in California. Oh, okay. Yeah, so big, thankful for that. I feel like I'd be a completely different woman if I was grew up in Kansas. Um, I would agree with that. With every mixed Asian that I know who grew up in the South, they're essentially white with Asian faces, and they're in California now, just like, what the heck am I? <laughs> Yeah, those are like my, yeah, my aunts, like especially um, because my mom was the only sister who moved to California. So all of my aunts, they lived in Kansas and then they moved to Kentucky. So now they all live in Kentucky. Um, They all have like white husbands and stuff, as one does, as as my mom. I mean, as as one does, white (laughs) husband, you know, um, there's so many of them. (laughs) There's a lot. There's like there's a whole other thing I could go into about like white male, Asian female, because like all of my like Asian friends that I know, I would say like 99% of them have an Asian mom and a white dad. Um, And then it gets into like white worshiping and everything like that. But it's interesting because like, um, so like one of my aunts, she, her dad is like, the army, like my grandma's ex, well, my grandma's had multiple white husbands actually, but um, like, <laughs> I love it. anyways, my aunts half Asian, half white. And it's interesting because like, if you talk to them, I don't talk to her that much, but it's like, like you were saying, it's like, they're essentially like, I guess the Asian-ness isn't really something that's really salient in their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of just like, yeah, I'm Asian, but it's like not that big of a deal. Same thing with my mom. Like my mom, if I, try to talk to her she's like yeah i'm asian but like you know i'm an american like um i was listening to one of your other shows and i heard um you talking about this on your japanese side it's like 
I guess it, it, I don't know if there's like a sense of shame in that regard, but it's mm-hmm. like I tried to talk to my mom about being Asian and she's obviously very like if you looked at her, she's very clearly Asian, but mm-hmm. like it doesn't seem like it's as salient to her identity. Whereas me who looks way less Asian, like I'm super white passing. I just feel this like sense of connection to my Asian side. So I think that's something really interesting that makes people experience. Mm. So did she, did she maintain any language at all or? No. So when was, she, okay. Yeah. So she came here when she was like three or four. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when she went to elementary school and kindergarten, her teachers told my grandma to stop speaking Vietnamese because that like racist myth that you couldn't like be bilingual you Confuse couldn't use their brains yeah yeah so she was like no you can't do that so my grandma stopped speaking Vietnamese to her and now my mom doesn't know it so like mm-hmm. anytime I tell people I'm Asian which is usually a shocker to them because most people just assume I'm white um the first question is always like can you speak it? And then I yeah. have to be like, no. And then I try to explain the whole assimilation thing. Um, and I'm, I'm going to take Vietnamese here if I can get into the class at UCLA. Oh, okay. um, there's only one class, though, because I guess it's not super high in demand. So I have to get it's, in. Um, it's weird because there's still pockets of Vietnamese here in LA, LA specifically, you know. Yeah, but there's only like one or two classes. Hopefully I can get in, but it kind of sucks because it's like I wish mm-hmm. that... I would have spoken it because I feel like I would have felt more connected to it because it's like if I go to a Vietnamese restaurant like so like if I'm not there with my mom they think I'm just like a random white woman that just like really likes fun and rolls and stuff I'm definitely gonna tap on that because it's come up so far a couple times but before I tap on that one um the I think that goes back to this idea that I've been kind of crafting over the last couple years and speaking to other mixed Asians is that morning that that sense of mourning that we experience from the place that we come from, we don't know why we're drawn to it besides the fact that we're mixed with it, especially if our parent or our grandparent didn't have didn't provide us the access. Um, and for some reason, Asians need to speak to be to be legitimate. And that sucks because Asian assimilation into into I'm going to say whiteness, although I'll, I'll code it by saying Americanness is so strong. Um, that doesn't happen to Latinx people, I don't think, and or or Caribbean people or African people. Like I just don't think it happens in in other instances the way it does for Asians. Um, so I, I understand what you're saying. Like that that just wit- like I actually have at least Japanese vowel sounds because despite the fact that the military told my grandma not to teach her children Japanese, um, hearing her speak. I picked them up. So if I practice hard enough, I can pronounce anything beautifully. I have no real language, though. I have words, mm-hmm. I have phrases, and I have mannerisms that I've observed from my grandma and have now realized that I'm, as I'm aging, they're just happening naturally. Um, I'm definitely going to be like my grandma when I get old. Um, but that thing, that that's that whatever's pulling you, that's making you feel absent in some sort of ways and probably too because you grew up in the bay area which is fairly asian there's access at least you're you at least have some exposure to various asian cultures um in that space it probably has just ignited it in you and you just can't you can't deal with it but jumping back to what keeps popping up is that you keep referring to yourself as white passing or generally people just think you're white. And I, this happens all the fucking time on the show and I can't deal with it. I understand that I'm mixed and I have a mixed lens and I'm looking for mixed faces. I do not see 
a hint of white in you at all. Really? You're you're in dis- you're you're not distinguishable as a very specific Asian race, but I'm looking at you and my first thought is what kind of a- the first thing that I popped into my head when I saw you as as happens to everybody that I see that I know is mixed is I wonder what kind of Asian she is. Oh my gosh, that's the most validating thing anyone's ever said to me. <laughs> I do that. No, I do that with other like I feel like I feel like mixed people have kind of, I don't know if this is controversial, but I feel like I have a radar, especially with other Asians, where like I can see them even when they have masks on, because you know, COVID, I can spot them. Mm-hmm. And then I feel a connection with them, even though I feel like they don't know that I'm Asian, I know that they are. Yeah. And then sometimes, sometimes if we're like in conversation and it feels right, like if we're like acquaintance friends, they'll be like, oh, are you Asian? And they're like, yeah. And, and they're like, how did you know? I'm like, girl, I, of course I fucking <laughs> I know. look just like you. That's why. <laughs> I know. But that's honestly, that's so nice. It's actually funny that you say I'm like ambiguous because I was a child actor actually and I had like little headshots and stuff and then on your like little headshot resume thing um you have to say like what your race is and instead Mm -hmm. of saying like white and Asian mine just said like ethnically ambiguous which looking back now feels now feels problematic because that means I couldn't cast in like any role I didn't really know what I was and I was like exotic yeah um but yeah, thank you for saying that because anytime people say that, I'm like, oh my God. Cause I always, I used to identify as like, like in high school as like white and barely Asian mm-hmm. because I felt like I was taking up, well, I didn't feel like I was Asian. And then I felt like I was taking up space in Asian spaces and like, I didn't want to, I, I guess, speak on something that I didn't experience. Cause like, I don't if, experience. If that is not the Asian, the mixed kids war cry. I don't know what <laughs> else is. It's like, I'm mad. Am I allowed to be this mad? Can I yeah. talk about this? Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. Cause it's like, if I'm in like a white space, like, I don't know where white people, like if I was at like a country club or something, which I've never been to, but if I was, I would be like very, very aware of my Asian-ness and I'm sure mm. they might too. And I've noticed that like, if I have white friends, um, cause my, like in my experience, I would say like 60 to 75% of the time, most people just assume I'm white and then they find out that I'm Asian. It's not like they're mean to me, but like, you can tell that they're totally changes. Yeah. Now they're like, oh, she's not just white. Like she's something else she's something about you rearranges in their brains yeah 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 yeah. and then it's like when I'm in Asian spaces I feel like I'm taking up space and I feel really white um so like for example at UCLA we had like something called the enormous activities fair and it's basically club day Mm -hmm. and I went up to this like I forgot what it was called it was basically a club for Vietnamese people we have multiple of them so if any of them are listening don't at me um (laughs) and I went I went to like I went to talk to them and like I tried to like sign up and then they looked at me and then they were like oh like you don't have to be Vietnamese to join that's okay <gasps> how <laughs> dare you <laughs> I fucking know so then I was like oh I am and then like in their face they were like oh and then and then it just got fucking awkward and then like I still signed up for their email list but I don't go to their meetings so yeah. like I get emails every week and I'm like oh and it's just a constant reminder of how invalidated you are I with the Asian side it's it's the same for me I'm so I identify more as a well, I prefer the term for me, Blackanese instead of Blasian. Um, and I think that 100% has to do with the whole Japanese superiority complex that I was, I'm sure, raised in um, that I've been trying to fight my whole life um, in terms of any relationships I've had with other with other non-Japanese Asians. Uh, so I do prefer the term Blackanese. And despite the fact that both of my parents are 
are white biracial, um, one black and white parent, Japanese and white parent. Um, I have so little access to whiteness or I had so, so little access to whiteness that it's hard for me to legitimately identify with it. Like I know it's in there. I know it's in my ethnic mix, but, um, cultural it's not in there at all. So I Blasian Blackanese is, is sort of my experience, which is an entirely different experience than the Asian experience. And, and I think like what you talked about with that ambiguity, especially in casting. So someone like Chloe Bennett, who ended up having mm-hmm. to cho- chose to take a, a Caucasian sounding last name for the purposes of getting casted because of, of, you know, how gross Hollywood is and everything. Um, she's literally played in things where she, her, she's not acknowledged as a mixed Asian person. Um, she's been cast in things in which she's not acknowledged as a mixed white person. And then occasionally she get like on Asians of, of shield. She, they casted an, a Chinese mother and a white father for her. So it was a way to acknowledge that she was what she was, but whether or not that character was intended to be a mixed Asian, was a totally different thing, you know, in terms of the comics and everything like that, which actually I should know, but I don't know. Um, And I just think about it. Every time I see a mixed Asian, I get excited and disappointed at the same time because I'm expecting that they did that because they were trying to dilute the Asian-ness or the otherness. Um, As much as I heart Keanu every time he plays an Asian role, I feel the same way. I'm like, damn it. You know, you're not, you're not the Asian though. Like they literally casted him and created a character and referred to it as a half breed in a real life story that doesn't involve a mixed character in, in 47 Ronin and things like that. So it's frustrating. And yet I still want to see our faces. And yet every time I see it, I get super frustrated um, because I know, I know what's happening there. And I feel like that is both a unfair responsibility for us to have as mixed Asians. And at the same time, I think it is also our responsibility to speak up if, if a character is intended to be a full Asian and they cast one of us that makes sense um i think that makes other mixed people upset when i've had these conversations in the past but i think there i think there's a there's an appropriate space for us where we're not taking up asian space or asian voice space but at the same time i were part of the story and i think we do need to be included so like you said there's these moments when you're just like oh am i can i get involved but to be instantly invalidated as you're just walking up to a booth to people who should absolutely consider for a beat that somebody might be wanting to to connect to their culture. And that's the whole reason why they're there. Um, you know, in that particular case, maybe asking the, the how do you identify question would eliminate that feeling. Because it's like it's like a constant open wound. Probably every time you see it, you're like, Ugh. yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah, it's like they probably thought I was I don't know if there's like um, a Vietnamese term for this, but they probably thought I was like a weeaboo or something like. Mm, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like one of those white there's certain white people that are like really into Asian culture in a really specific way. And like, yes, in a, in a fetishy way, not in just like I'm interested in learning about this like dialect or like this whatever practice. Um, they probably thought it was one of those. And I was mm-hmm. like, that hurts. Um 
but it is really validating when other people acknowledge that I'm Asian and they don't make me feel like I'm faking it because I've had instances like I, I have a Vietnamese friend who's full Vietnamese and when I like I knew he was Vietnamese because like I know my people you know mm-hmm. so like I, I you know, <laughs> yeah I like I asked him if he was Vietnamese and he was like yeah and I was like oh me too and he was like nah but not really like you don't count and it's uh... like constant even though it's like obviously they don't mean it it's like those small little microaggressions that happen yeah. throughout the course of like your week or your month or something from people that you're close to um yeah. they take a toll on you you know and i've also had people say that i'm like from white people obviously um they think me being mixed is so cool they're like oh my god that's so fucking cool like oh, I, gosh, wish, yeah. I wish i was mixed you guys are so pretty white and asians are so mm-hmm. pretty and then she called me like the best mix and i was like uh. it's, it's problematic because i'm like <laughs> On the one hand, like you're complimenting me because you think yeah. that me being white and Asian is pretty, but like if you actually like peel back the layers, like you're saying yeah. that I'm a watered down version of my ethnicity. If I was full Asian, I wouldn't be pretty to you, but it's because I'm half white that like I I have this like de- like proximity to whiteness and also right. the whole model minority myth is tied in there too. That's what you mean by the best mix because like yeah. Asian people are seen as like smart and docile and submissive and like mm-hmm. Yeah. And when people think of Asian, they don't even think of South Asian usually. They usually no, think of yeah. Yeah, they usually yeah. think of East Asian, maybe Southeast Asian. Um but yeah, there's like a whole hierarchy there. And it's just yeah, it just sucks. But when other people acknowledge that I'm Asian, especially when I don't tell them, like um one time I was getting my nails done and the nail salon was owned by Vietnamese people, um, which is like fairly common. Then the lady doing my nails looked at me and I didn't say anything and she was like, Are you Vietnamese? And I was like, Girl, yes I am. <laughs> That's funny because every I'm Asian asked me if I'm Filipino. <laughs> <laughs> I think about that. I think about her saying that to me at least once a week. And it's been I- like two years. And no, I hundred percent understand that that thing. Um, there's these weird moments of validation. There's a lot of invalidation, and for me, I think complimentary invalidation is way worse than explicit racist ew type of stuff. Like mm-hmm. I'll take the ew because at least I know exactly where you're coming from. But the whole, you know, best of both worlds or whatever, um, especially if it includes whiteness in some way, shape or form, because because the flip of what they say to you is not that if you were full white, you would be pretty. Although I'm assuming they're thinking full white people are pretty too. It is just because of what is exotic to them that they, they would never reverse this, that sentiment um, in terms of thinking of you as half white um, if that was how they were approaching it. And it's gross. But there, so I really, I really hate the complimentary microaggressions because they're, they're just, those ones swirl around your head. But those weird moments of validation that are just small, and it's not even like someone necessary, it's not even sometimes explicit. There's one that I think about, it happened three years ago, I had just had my hair done for a photo shoot, and I felt as as pretty as I could feel in any moment. And I was driving through a parking lot, and this lady was like flagging me down. And I rolled down the window next to her, I'm like, are you okay? Do you need help? And she's like, go ahead with your purple hair, girl, I see you pounded on my car and then ran back toward across the street like in the in the mall parking lot and it that's all it was she just wanted oh, to yeah. tell me how she saw me with just my hair like i see you with your hair and bounce and that was it and it was even though she didn't say i can tell you're a, you're a black girl you know mixed black girl or anything like that she talked to me in 
our language, <laughs> basically, and our cadences. And she acknowledged the thing. And same thing. I think about her all the time. And there's times when I think about her and I like, I really hope she's having a good day. And that's all I want. Like, because she gave me one good day, I just want her to have a good day for the rest of her life. <laughs> like, I feel like non-mixed people won't get that. But just like the people who see us and we don't have to tell them. Because I feel like there's always kind of this like we have to prove ourselves. I don't know if you experience that, but I always have mm-hmm. to like, oh, I never have to prove that I'm white. And I, I don't know if it's because like, I know we really? talked about white passing. It's, no, like nobody's ever like, oh, you're not white. But the thing is, is that I know nothing about German culture. Like Wiener Schnitzel, that's it. Like, I don't know anything else. You know? <laughs> but like, I know way more about, I mean, not as much as I'd like to, but I know way more about my Asian culture. But when I tell people I'm Asian, I feel like I have to go through a checklist. I'll mm-hmm. be like, no, I don't speak the language, but my grandma knows how to make pho. My mom makes egg rolls. Like, yeah, a little Saigon. I have an Aodai, which is like a traditional Vietnamese gla- dress in my closet. Like, mm-hmm. I go to ranch 99 i go to the asian supermarkets i know the different brands like my grandma watches this like asian version of america's got talent you know like mm-hmm. and i have to list out all these things to like prove myself as a valid asian that and will as- go away eventually too you'll tire of it i mean i don't want to pull like the mixed auntie card real fast but yeah. just just so that you can placate you a little bit it'll go away with time you will age out of that because it'll be so exhausting that you're just like i'm just vietnamese leave me alone like don't but it's like i found like with my friend who's full vietnamese love that guy but it was like i guess talking about our like vietnamese-ness was Mm -hmm. what made me click in his brain as a valid member of the community and it's like i get that because it's like we have shared experiences and he's like oh i never would have thought that you watched this these shows or you ate these foods and i'm like bro i've been telling you i'm asian this whole time and nobody fucking believes me so it's like it's difficult because it's like i hope i grow out of it but at the same time it's like i still crave that validation from other people well okay maybe you won't grow all the way out of it that's fair there are times when i put out my credentials too um probably more so on the asian side than anything because i did grow up mostly black like i grew up around a black community and black people so um i can i can slip into even a group of black strangers and pretty quickly I'm showing my credentials and how I talk or what my mannerisms is when I when I code switch back to what I refer to as my natural accent. Like my first language is A-A-V-E. My second language is this, whatever this version of English is, you know, um, proper English bullshit, not, you know, that people people call it. Um, So I accidentally reveal my credentials if they're if they can't see it in my face, which I've only had it one time happen in my whole life that a black person didn't know I was black. Other than that, I've never I've never had the question of it um what's throwing me through my crisis right now my my um my mixed asian crisis is that my face reveals my blackness from this side but my mask is covering that up and so now my black Mm -hmm. disappears and my hair is japanese so for the first time and i'm not kidding the first time in 43 years i'm being coded as east asian and not Filipino. Because usually if someone thinks I'm Asian, they think I'm Filipino because I have black features and Filipinos are the closest Asians to a face like mine that look makes sense. My paleness is confusing, I think, to people mm-hmm. um, and my straight hair, uh, except for when it's longer, it's wavy. So who knows what, you know, what that is. But um, so right now I'm dealing with all this Asians. 
identity stuff because I didn't realize I would ever code East Asian to anybody. And so someone, you know, now I'll get Korean maybe, you know, like, you know, the, but that's never happened to me before. I've never even been confused with that. Um, and so, so I also kind of feel a small kinship to um, Filipinos because of how often I'm confused with Filipinos. Um, and every now and then I get an extra piece of lumpia at the shop. I don't know. Oh. Um, you know, sometimes the uh, the membership <laughs> the oh, membership yeah. has benefits. Uh, but I but I think with the Asian side, I will do exactly what you're describing. I'll be like, you know, I'll make sure that I I overly emphasize how well I can pronounce a word, you know, or something like that. Or you know, mm-hmm. all of a sudden I turn into an old Japanese lady where I'm like, ita, ita, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, pom, pom, you know, I'll make all these sounds that are like clearly Asian old lady sounds or whatever. Um, or even just at the grocery store down the street, because I do live in a Japanese community. Um, you know, I'll code switch at, at the at the shop, you know, just mm-hmm. just, you know, hunch over and, you know, nod constantly and all kinds of stuff like that. And then I straighten my back out as soon as I walk into the store and I go on about my day and I'm constantly like I'm just waiting for a Japanese person to be like, you know, Nihonji? Never, never, ever in my life has this happened, and it probably never will. Um, hopefully, a mixed Asian, a mixed Japanese will do it, but um, never a full. So that, so what you're saying makes sense to me. I, I, I get it, and hopefully, you'll grow all the way out of it. But if not, you know, every now and then, one little thing will send you, send you on that kind of spiral where you're just like, "Damn it, I thought I licked this," and and here yeah. you go. Which is why I do the show too, because it's also my own personal way of constantly validating that I I'm a, I'm as much entitled to these spaces as anybody from the monoracial um, sides of my cultures. Because I mean, I can't do anything about it. I grew up black and Japanese, so you know. I think that's fair. What got you into getting involved with MSU? Were you, did you, did you like sample at the food court of all of the, the cultural groups or did you go straight into, into the MSU? Yeah, it was actually, um, my orientation before my freshman year. Um, and there was like a smaller version of the club fair because it was like just for like the incoming freshmen. So it wasn't the whole school and it was actually Dakota, you know, Dakota. Um, and they had a little booth and it was like mixed student union. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And then Dakota, (laughs) who's like one of our lead directors from mixed student union, um, was telling me about like, oh, this is a space for mixed race people. Like we talk about code switching. We talk about like our immigration stories, like, like not looking like our parents. And I was like, oh my fucking God, like something in my mind, the validation that I felt, I still like every time I go to the meetings, I'm like, oh, even if I'm fucking tired, I have midterms. I'm like, this is the space for me because I think, I don't think I realized how unseen I felt like in Mm -hmm. my entire academic career or just life before I got to MSU until I joined it. And then I saw other people who looked like me. I mean, they didn't look like me, like, but they were, I could tell that they were mixed and they the all. The vagueness of our ambiguous yeah, faces. Like, yeah. <laughs> an ambiguous cultural club. Like nobody could quite put their finger on what we are because we're like everything and anything. And I thought that yeah. that was beautiful. So yeah, I still tried, I still thought of joining like other Vietnamese clubs, but I didn't because of that one experience. And I just, mm-hmm. it kind of like validated my own insecurities of like not wanting to take a space and like right. wanting to be an outsider, but like in MSU, I'm excited to be a part of it because I, I, I stay having a racial identity crisis and I don't think it's ever going to fully go away, but at least it's Maybe a space. Not entirely. Yeah, yeah, but at least it's 
the space that I can like talk about it. Cause I feel like if I were to talk about that in like a monoracial Asian space, I, I wouldn't, I, I just feel weird about bringing my whiteness into that. Cause I feel like that's not really their yes. problem. You know? I agree with that too, which is why I think even though both of my parents are half white biracials, um, because I didn't grow up with a white parent or necessarily with whiteness centered, I I feel like I can occupy spaces, but um, with, with the caveat that is floating over my head. I will back out when I know it's my turn to back mm-hmm. out, you know, because um, I don't want to draw everything down to, well, as a mixed, you know, blah, blah, yeah. blah. I have not found that space in Asian um, cultural groups or community groups growing up through school or anything like that. The first time I started getting that a- Asian validation and acceptance was last year in podcasting, Asian American Podcasting Association is the first time that I got seen I felt by other Asians um mostly to find out that like three quarters of them were mixed too and also (laughs) you know also freaking out about you know hopefully people don't realize that there's white in here or you know whatever the thing is that that gets them so I'm glad I'm uh, Dakota is wonderful but I'm I'm glad that you walked up to the booth because I'm sure there's plenty of mixed kids that walk past that booth and they're just like oh that sounds like a nice thing um but you you did what you had to i think there's healing in in you acknowledging that for yourself and participating yeah i think so too i honestly i was scared to join because i was like am i not mixed enough like also honestly with mixed people there's so many different thoughts of like never feeling like a valid member of any community um but like i shared that at like i think i went to like the second meeting um and i shared that and i was like i felt like i wasn't mixed enough and other people were like yeah i felt the same way and honestly i think that's why like we don't have that many members which kind of upsets me but i Mm. wish we had more but i think it's because we're not like one salient like identity like we're not one culture yeah I think that was tough with the show at first as well, because in the beginning, I was only mostly black, white, biracial people were the people that were finding the show. If they were mixed, there was a whole lot of white people finding the show for some reason um, to learn, uh, which was great. And I'm glad that they're there. And I'm glad that some of them have stayed and stayed in contact because there is a lot of learning there. But in the beginning, I was like, oh, no, this is for mixed people. I want to help my community. Um, There was a pivotal moment in which I started to realize how much more in common I had with any mixed person person than necessarily a monoracial person from any of my cultures. I mean, well, not with black people. I have a lot in common with black people because I grew up black and I am I am mixed black. But with with Asians or Japanese people specifically, maybe not necessarily a little bit here and there, but maybe not necessarily. But with mixed Asians, with a white military reason as to why they're together, all of us like we don't even have to say it. We just we just be like, yeah, yeah. He was in the air force, you know. Like it's just it's just like we just know it. Um, I, I did. So was your family? You said army in your in your case. Um, was it was it army? Okay. Yeah, with the army. They had during the Vietnam War. I think honestly, my grandma probably. I don't blame her. I'm pretty sure she saw him as the ticket out. I don't. I don't blame her at all. Like being from a war torn country, like I, yeah. yeah. But it, it's it's interesting how like it's it's a lot of the military, and I find this is like a whole other topic. But like the <laughs> white dad Asian mom duo is like mm-hmm. really common, and I'm not saying there's anything inherently wrong with like white men and Asian women being together. That's fine, but I do find that like 
oftentimes it's because like on the Asian side, the Asian mom or the Asian woman, you know, worships this white man because like, and, and a lot, at least speaking on my family, my Asian family, like my grandma loves white men. Like my grandma's had like, three husbands, all white men. Loves them. Bring me the white man. <laughs> she literally could not get enough of them. Same with my mom. Like my mom's not with my dad anymore, but all of her like past, she had like an ex-husband and all her past and current boyfriend, like white, she, it's her favorite flavor. But, um, but it's like, I find, I don't know. It's interesting. Cause it's like, on the one hand, my Asian mom and the rest of my Asian family, like really like these white men. Um, Cause I think that they, they have like higher social status and they bring them like safety and security. And then on mm-hmm. the other hand, my dad has said this to me before. So this is factual, at least for him. But he said he likes exotic women. And it's like, oh. The word exotic just is so... Now <laughs> you have exotic kids. But he can't... My dad can't pronounce Vietnamese. He can't even fucking say it, even though he's had kids for the past, like, 20-something years. No. Yeah, it's sad. It's sad because like, he, a lot of people say this. Um, they say, like, Vietnamese. Like, they just can't Right. Yeah. But it's like I feel like if you have kids who are Vietnamese, you should at, at least be able like to five say five seconds it. to learn that. Yeah, right. So that's interesting. Love that. Um, <laughs> love that. No, I, 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 I think what I'm coming to now that I never ever thought of before. I've I've always been more upset about what I assume to be the fetishizing of Asian women by the white men in in my family. Um, or anytime I see an Asian woman and a white man, I can't help but have that bias trigger. Um, but what you said actually does remind me like there is a fetishization on the other side too. And just because the marginalized person um is involved doesn't necessarily mean that they're not also in in a fetishizing thing. I mean, I tell this story to people just to just to explain exoticism, especially to white people, is that my so my grandmother was a child during the World War Two. And the the propaganda was such that Americans were cannibals, and they're going to eat you. So, you know, the right thing to do as a Japanese is to kill yourself with poison. So that if the Americans come, so that when they eat your flesh because they're going to because they're cannibals they'll die too and that's like your duty to japan was to sacrifice you know in that particular case sacrifice yourself for the americans but when the americans came they brought the kids chocolate and they brought the kids food and re- and and supplies and so that hero-ness Mm-hmm. That white hero-ness um, gets embedded at my, you know, seven, eight-year-old grandmother's mind. So by the time she's in her, you know, late teens, early 20s, of course, and the Korean War is now happening at that point, And there's all these white people stationed in, in uh, white men stationed in Japan because of that, because that was a deploy spot. Um of course she was going to be kind of excited about these exotic white men. So I say that intentionally. And then I'll see, like, I'll see white people go like exotic. We're just white. We're boring. We're plain. And I'm like, but to a Japanese who lives on an Island full of yellow people who look just like him, that is exotic. She named my, my mom and her sisters, Dorothy, Joyce, and Anne after movie stars of the time and she says it was such exotic name and then my you know and my mom you know with her name nancy it's just like nancy is the ugliest old lady name possible how could you name me that and she's like oh so beautiful so exotic and then she'll like repeat it nancy you know 
and she like even with my aunt with my aunt Dorothy's name, she doesn't say her name Dorothy. She says it with an accent that where the L where the R becomes an L and stuff like that. And so you she is as excited about the you know, her white babies who to me look Asian. I mean, you can tell they're mixed, but they look Asian. Uh, but she sees them as looking white. I'm sure my white grandfather looked at them as Asian, mm-hmm. you know, like, and so you got fetishizing and exoticizing happening on both sides. It's just that one system of power exists in, in part of that. And one marginalist marginalized system exists within that. Um, and it's pretty gross. I don't know. It's, it's fine. It's fine. Mm-hmm. I, I love being mixed. I do, but there are, there are aspects of how we become mixed specifically, yeah. especially on the Asian side and especially with, militarization imperialism colonialism um all of that that really kind of it makes it tough to be sometimes excited (laughs) about about it and it's it's sad because like i think there is a degree of like internalized racism that my Mm -hmm. asian side feels because like my oh two examples my grandma like asian like that she's like a four foot seven vietnamese woman like there's no mistaking her for anything else um so powerful love her but like she got eye with surgery and she got a nose job and she uh-huh. said she got a nose job it's because she wanted her glasses to fit on her face better oh my grandma uh-uh. oh grandma she couldn't, have, she couldn't have gone with like a deviated septum or something like that she went straight for just to keep my glasses up <laughs> literally yeah my grandma's not a good liar uh, amazing <laughs> because like now that I'm older and I think about it I'm like she definitely got that because I think it was a thing like her and her Vietnamese friends like someone would go back to Vietnam and get like a nose job and then all the other friends would do it and it's right. kind of it's sad and same thing with my mom like so I, I don't know if it's like this in your family but you know how a lot of Asian cultures like your Asian last name goes first on legal mm-hmm. documents so it's like your Asian last name then your first name mm-hmm. so my mom had like a, an Asian last name and then an Asian first name and then her American last name but she like legally got her asian last name removed because she mm. said it like, confused people but also i feel like there was kind of hints of shame in there because like she didn't yeah. want her asian name associated with her um and then also like my mom had an american name because my mom's name is Leitu. it's like a pretty vietnamese name mm-hmm. um but like people in kansas all white people couldn't pronounce that so she like came up with this random she went by summer which is like no one calls her summer now but she just had to come up with her own name because like nobody took the time to learn how to pronounce her name it's sad so i think there is like a degree of like i don't know like white saviorism that i know of course at least in my family um which is interesting and kind of sad so i think that's why my mom doesn't like to address her asianness like she doesn't proudly claim it like she can't escape the fact that she's asian obviously and Mm -hmm. we do you know asian things but not as much as i think we could because i think there's so much shame in her about like it's like you're not doing them for the asianness of it all you're just kind of doing them because that's what you do yeah like going to the asian grocery store like we just do that because that's Mm -hmm. like what my mom that's the food we eat yeah exactly but it's not like we don't like we don't celebrate like lunar new year and we don't Mm you know watch like vietnamese shows or like get really involved in like specific traditions um whereas like for me it's kind of sad because like i do want to have kids eventually and like if i have kids like am i gonna have like the tools to teach them about you know my culture or am i gonna have to learn them as an adult but learning those things as an adult makes me feel like i'm mimicking being asian uh gosh 
this yes <laughs> i mean like there's just this idea of like culturally appropriate this is something that makes yes. people deal with for any of the monoracials that are listening um the that makes people deal with where you feel like you are guilty of culturally appropriating your own culture because only bits and pieces of it bled out in the in the time that you were being raised um you know i have always claimed my japanese-ness and and it to japanese people too and i constantly get told like oh no you're not Japanese or oh that's so cute that you think you're Japanese but like you you're not from Japan so whatever um or they'll like oh why do you pronounce that okay and you know things like that or you know my my favorite invalidating statement you eat with chopsticks really well um (laughs) that one that one kills me every time I'm like I already told you I'm Japanese stop it um but I think (laughs) this this thing of just like is it cultural appropriation honestly i should do i should do a panel discussion about this um is it cultural appropriation if you didn't have access to it while you were growing up even though it's part of your ethnic makeup um but you try to reclaim it for yourself which i think there's power in there is power in reclaiming your heritage and it's not like I mean, I guess it's a mixed bag of whether or not it's robbed from you, right? Like, there's certainly the immigrant story in which part of your culture is robbed from you because of assimilation and stuff like that. But I think it's also the fact that um, our immigrant families willingly release some of it. Mm-hmm. Willing, maybe under duress to a degree, but but in that sort of white fetishism thing where they're like, you know, wanting to align with whiteness, you know, they release it. And so is it cultural appropriation for us to try to reclaim it? I think it is both powerful to try to reclaim it great if you have any success in doing it but if you're the one teaching the next generation does that feel authentic or do you have to literally like deliver your child into like in my case if i were going to take them to the buddhist temple just to like because that's where we would go like we weren't buddhist but we would go to the buddhist temple for any japanese festivities and stuff like that so like do you just deliver your child to the thing and be like go go be Japanese now. (laughs) Like I'll see you on the other side and I'll, I'll be jealous of you because I didn't get that. You know, (sighs) it hit, it, it kills me every time, but I, I think that's a real, that's a conversation we have to keep having with other mixed people to help like find a place that we can get to. Like, I think that's an internal discussion in our mixed communities before it is an external discussion with monoracial people from that, from those cultures. Cause I, I don't think they can determine for us what we're mm-hmm. allowed to access at the same time. I know that we can't be necessarily the loudest voice in the room mm-hmm. in terms of representation because we are, we are different from them. Um, yeah, that one that one breaks my heart. I'm going to figure out a way for us to talk about this without feeling shame. Yeah, <laughs> in, the in, in every conversation, I'm always like, am I even allowed to talk about yeah. that? Like, I'm allowed to be mad because one time, just like a quick note there, the, you know, the singer Casey Musgraves, she's like a country singer. Um, I, I don't know anything about country irrelevant. music. Her name is irrelevant. But basically, I think this was like one of the, I brought this up at the first mixed student union meeting I went to. She basically was wearing like an Aldi on, she's white, by the way. She was mm. wearing like an Aldi on stage and you're supposed to wear it with pants and she had like full like no pants on just like undies with like the traditional Vietnamese dress uh, I was like, but then I was like am I allowed to, am I mad 
for myself and my own culture. I'm mad and I'm not Vietnamese, so I'm going to say yes, it's okay. And like, am I allowed to take personal offense to it? Or am I taking offense for like my grandma and like my mom and the other like full Asian people I know, you know? Both of those things are fair. Um, So I think as mixed people, we focus in or are taught the being less than or that we're the diluted version of whatever our cultural heritages are, right? When really we should reframe that and be thinking about us being more because we're literally more than one thing. So that seems more of, that seems more, not less, right? Or, I mean, it can, I'm a pessimist, so usually it is less, but in the case of my mixedness, I'm not going to let that happen anymore. Um, And so, you know, I'm more excited about the fact that I have access to, I guess I'm going to say four cultures, two and a half of them being really rich cultures. Um, the black American culture is, is my predominant culture. And it's very, it's very rich and heavy for me. The Japanese culture also fairly predominant and, and rich and heavy for me. Um, Britishness in particular, because my Nana is from England and she did live in my house, um, as I was growing up. So I have access to some aspects of Britishness. Um, and then American, whatever that means, right? Because I am born here, I am an American, and despite the fact that I have a a second generation, but kind of a first generation because I lived with my grandmothers at different times, uh, access to immigrant stories, um, my Americanness is really only evident when I'm not in America. So I, it's hard for me to really feel American until I leave. And then, you know, the places I go remind me that I'm American. Uh, so whatever American culture is, I'm not going to align it necessarily with whiteness, but I'm going to say whatever it is, this thing that we have. So I have these four cultures kind of swirling around in me at all times. That seems like a surplus of culture. And yet I've been taught and trained my whole life to think of it as I'm less than because I'm only part, right? Mm -hmm. You can be angry on behalf of yourself as a mixed Asian. You can be angry on behalf of your grandmother, your mother, your ancestors. Mm -hmm. Call it like I would say, yes, absolutely own that because you are a part of that story. We may not have been intended in terms of like the separation of all the humans on the planet. And there was like, yeah, one day there's going to be these hybrid ones that may not have been the the thought in the beginning of people like us creating cultures and stuff like that. But we're part of the story where we're, we have to be included in some way, shape or form. We, they can't, they can't escape from us. So be angry, be proud, be happy, be set, you know, whatever the thing is, whatever the, the instance that is occurring in that moment, I think your gut reaction is the right thing. Like if you feel, ugh, even if you're not really sure, like what it yeah. is specifically that's bothering you, the fact that your tummy feels away is all that you need to know. And, you know, I mean, I make jokes about that being the ancestors and, or whatever, like telling me like, Oh no, they messed it up. Um, but regardless of what it is, I'm not a spiritual person in any way, shape or form. I'm not religious. I do call upon my ancestors just in terms of the fact that I know that they're, you know, in my blood and all that kind of stuff. So if the ancestors are knocking on my stomach and telling me that that's gross, then I'm going to be upset on behalf of myself, my grandmother, my, you know, my dad, whatever, like whoever that is. Um, And I think that's fine. I think that's part of the, the be your mixed ass self mentality that, that I use as my motto is whatever it means to you, 
whatever you have access to or don't have access to, but want access to, you know, that you are mixed with, um, that's yours. You get to own it too. That being said, there are times and spaces for us, you know, and there are ways in which um, we should back off sometimes and not be the loudest story. Um, but there's there's room for us to be a loud story. And I think that's fair and valid. And um, it's easier to do in a space like this. This is why I call all my guests on the show cousins is because as I started to realize how much more in common I had with other mixed people than necessarily the monoracial people from my different heritages, um, we have such sim- so much overlap in terms of the way people treat us. We can- we're family, you know, so I think that I think that's fair. Be upset, be not upset, be proud, be not proud, depending on the situation. And I think it's completely fine and valid. Um, if you need a mixed space to validate you, though, um, then just come back and tell me so that I can revalidate you. <laughs> oh, no, this was like the most valid. I feel like I just got like a talking to from my aunt or like, I don't, I didn't really, I have cousins, but they're like, they don't live near me. So yeah. I don't have- I feel like this is like the cousin talk that I needed. Yeah. Talk that I needed, you know? So my problem is that I'm both the oldest child on both sides of my family. And so I'm the oldest cousin on both sides of my family. And now I've crossed over into middle age. And so now I am officially an auntie. So I think I've always been an auntie. I just was like a 10 year old version of it for the longest (laughs) time. Um, But so, yeah, I can't help it now. In the beginning of doing the show, I think it was mostly just like craving the similarities. And now that I'm doing it and it like it's only been three years, but now I want to help all the babies. So like, bring me bring me your mixed people who need validation because I didn't I didn't plan on being uh, the mixed validator. I accidentally became it. So bring them to me yeah. if you if even if it's you come back so that I can revalidate you. I think it's important for you to feel uh, completely comfortable in your thing. Like because literally monoracial people are just as uncomfortable as we are, but they're just uncomfortable about different things. Um, and sometimes their enoughness mm-hmm. is a part of that of their story, too. If you're not a part of what is the perceived monolith of any particular culture, are you black enough? Are you Asian enough? Are you white enough? Whatever the thing is. So they deal with it too. It's just, it's just that we're dealing with it with multiple <laughs> cultures and they're only dealing well, with one. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. It's like you, there's no safe space to not feel invalidated in some way, shape or form. So, um, but that's what, that's what militantly mixes is, is for. So uh, we have come to that time. I'm really glad we had this conversation. I really feel like we can have more conversations because I I need to adopt all of now now that I'm auntie mode. I, I need to adopt all the all the young ones that are in the crisis mode. Bring me bring me your crisis. Um, but why don't you tell everybody how to find you if you want or uh, the MSU whichever? Why don't you tell people how they can find you? Yeah. Um. Oh my god. Off the grid. I don't have social media anymore because I hate the internet. Um, but you can definitely find UCLA. I it. <laughs> I was. Uh, it's just not good for my mental health. But um, yeah, you can find UCLA's mixed student union. I think. Oh my god, if it's wrong, don't at me. Um, I think it's UCLA underscore MSU. That's one of um, them. Andrea, and then one and of them is the reverse, right? 
I don't know. I'm not the social media coordinator. <laughs> you know, when I was, I remember this being a thing because I was trying to tag it and I was like, oh. I, can't, I couldn't find it at first. But I think, I think you're right that there is an underscore, but in what it's, I think it's MSU UCLA on Twitter. Yeah. I don't think we're as active on Twitter, but I think Instagram is our mm-hmm. most active one. And then maybe Facebook. And we also have like, well, if you go on our Instagram, we have a link to all of our social medias. So yes, go on there. That's the best one. Um, so yeah, you can, you can join the mailing list for the UCA MSU, which is so funny because every now and then I get like a, a email that says like, "How's your semester going?" And I'm like, "What?" And then I click oh, on I it, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, it's because I joined the I joined the I wanted to know what you guys were up to." Um, yeah. So, so that's great. And keep doing, keep doing the work. So what, what grade are you? Are you grade? What grade are you? Um, are you a sophomore or? Yeah, I'm a, okay. I'm a second year. Yeah. I'm a psychology okay. major. Okay. So you got a few more years to, to stay in this lovely bubble of, of mixed organization um, that, that you got going on. And, and I, I'm, I'm glad that you found that space, especially after being invalidated by the other space. Um and I think that what you're doing is important, not just for you, but for for the others. This this work of community that we that we're doing, um, I think, is is helpful for us. But it's even better that we're being we're spreading it to to others. So keep doing that. I'm excited. Thank you for having me as a participant in in the Heritage Conference. I, I really do appreciate that. It was a lot of fun, even though I was concussed and completely like forgot everything that I was going to do. Um, I still think that it went okay <laughs> no it was wonderful i couldn't even you were beautifully concussed i wouldn't have been able to talk. it was wonderful uh, for being a part I, of it i warned dakota that i was and that i was basically functional but um i remember there being two places in which i just blanked and just kind of rambled for a bit until i came back oh, um, really? and like sort I of woke up that. a little bit um maybe it's muscle memory because i've been talking about this stuff now for so long but um i remember there's there's two chunks of of things that I don't really know what happened until after. And I was like, Oh wait, I, I couldn't remember a single mixed race comic book character at first. And, uh, um, when I got one of those questions that I got asked and, uh, there was something in the middle too, that I kind of just blanked partway through. And then I realized I was talking and I was like, Oh yeah, I'm still here. Yeah. Your like mouth works faster than your, <laughs> or whatever. I couldn't tell, I couldn't tell that you were concussed. You're a very beautifully concussed speaker. Thank you for having me on the show. This is like, again, like the most validating experience ever. Cause I would always listen to like mixed race podcasts and like Asian podcasts just to try to find some like sense of identity. Mm-hmm. And now like, if someone's listening to me, like I get to be that person for them. Hopefully. Right. Um, and so I think you absolutely will. I get emails all the time about well first I get the guests tell me my story is not that important or I'm not that exciting da, da 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 and then I'll get an email from a guest it's like oh this specific person's story really affected me and then I send them if if they let me a copy of that note or I'll just tell them what somebody said and and uh, like yes you are absolutely helping somebody who is feeling isolated I'm telling you I promise everybody thinks I'm lying but I promise that it has happens because I get so many emails about episodes that just a random individual episode that was somebody's story. And um, I have very little Vietnamese representation on the show. I've only had, I think you're like the third person maybe that is. Yeah, I, don't meet many, so. I don't meet many mixed Vietnamese people. Yeah. So 
So even more so the opportunity that there is a little mixed Vietnamese out there, a little Asian just needing to feel that they're not alone. And and then they oh, see that there's Katens on there. <laughs> I call myself a biracial baddie. I don't know if I can copyright that term. Probably not. Um, but yeah. So I hope, yeah, I hope it helps someone. It helped me for sure. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Fury. Music is by David Bogan, the one you can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. If you'd like to become a sponsor of Militantly Mixed, please go to patreon.com slash militantly mixed for monthly sponsorship or paypal.me slash militantly mixed for a one-time only donation. And if you like what you hear on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to be your mixed-ass self. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.